Welcome to the MA Roadshow, episode number 248. My name is John Morgan. Cole Coffee is not with me. He is back home in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. I look forward to seeing him out there very soon. Meanwhile, I am in Tokyo, Japan for Bellator 237. It is Ryzen FF20 fight week as well, and I'm covering a little bit of the, uh, the pre-fight card there as well. I will not be here for the Ryzen card itself. I'll actually be back home at that point, and we'll be uh, watching on television. I, I am uh, I, I'm a hardcore like that. I do like the rising cards as well, but I am here for Bellator 237. A quick little jaunt. Flew out on Christmas Day. Uh, I hated to say goodbye to the to the wife and kid, but kind of a cool way to wrap up the the, the year and, and to wrap up the decade. To be honest with you, I mean. Fedor Emelianenko and Quentin Rampage Jackson at Saitama Super Arena. I, you know what? It, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm stoked for it. You know, and and I can understand. Uh, you know, any naysayers out there, what have you, about what the fight means, and you know, with Rampage as as a heavyweight, you know, how motivated is he? We'll get to that here momentarily. Um, but I, I can understand, you know, criticisms of it or whatever. Is this a big time main event? But to me. Man, this is all about nostalgia, to be honest with you. It is a big-time main event. I mean, it is two of the biggest stars in MMA history, and they're back in the place that made them. I mean, back in Japan, Saitama Super Arena, of course, home of pride for so, so many years, and they both had so many uh, you know, great performances, not only in that building but all over Japan. And I'm excited to be here for it, man. I, I really am. I think it's going to be a fun way to, to shut down the decade. You know, we've been – doing all this end-of-decade talk at MMA Junkie. And, uh, of course, we've been rolling out the, the fighters of the decade, which by the time this comes out, you'll have seen is, is John Jones. That's who we selected as our number one. And if you want to go check out my piece that I wrote on John Jones and did a little video there that Abby Saban edited together in fine fashion, as you would expect. But, you know, we've been doing the, the end-of-the-decade fighters and, and counting that down. And um, we've also got some other content coming out. I was counting down the – uh, you know, or not necessarily a countdown, but just re going through some of the, the biggest moments in and out of the cage for the whole 10 years. And um, it was cool to, I, I very rarely sit back and, and, you know, reminisce like that, but to go back through an entire decade and to kind of relive it year by year and, and to think back through those memories about how they happened and what was going on at the time and what certain fights meant and what certain developments meant, um, it was it was pretty cool to do. I really did enjoy it. And actually, on the flight over here, I had a couple of layovers. Um, booked the flight kind of late, so for me, it was Las Vegas to Phoenix, Phoenix to San Francisco, San Francisco to Tokyo. So at least one more flight than you would normally expect. But uh, I had to save a couple of bucks at the end of the year. You know how that goes. But it, you know, I had some time to kill. And it was funny as I was as I was thinking about all those decade accomplishments. I put it out on social media, but I decided I was like, man, I, I wonder how many of those you know, big UFC cards I was at. And so I, I went down and just went through year by year the UFC schedule. And um, as best I can tell, and it's a, it's a good estimate, um, I believe I was at 246 UFC cards during the past decade. So it's crazy, man. You, you know, you talk, oh, you're at the fights all the time. But, man, when you put it together like that, it's pretty wild. Of course, that doesn't even cover 
um, all the strike force, the Bellator, the you know everything else that happened through there. So um, pretty wild decade, and to be able to wrap it up with Fedor Emelianenko versus Quentin Rampage Jackson. Listen, man, you're not being able to to, to you're not being asked to pay money for this. It's not a pay-per-view product. You know, if that was the case, if if Bellator was trying to gouge you with a little pay-per-view or something like that, I could understand how you might say, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But as as just a way to wrap up the year, I mean, uh, amazing. And like I said, wrap up the decade. Of course, some other real recognizable talent as well. Uh, Michael Chandler was supposed to fight Benson Henderson. That ends up being Sidney Outlaw instead. But Sidney Outlaw, quite an interesting character. Uh, not the name of Benson Henderson, but still an interesting fight nonetheless. You get Michael Venom Page in Japan, which I am so happy that this fight is happening. I remember, um, you know, the, the boys at uh, MMA Junkie Radio, you know, we were having those spinning back click episodes and talking about wanting to see Michael Venom Page here in Japan and assuming it was just going to be too quick of a turnaround, and it got done um, against Shinsho Anzai, who will, who will do his best to put him in a fight. Um, certainly will be a little bit outclassed on the feet if he's not able to to make it kind of dirty. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, a, a chance to see MVP here in Japan I think could be pretty special. And then Lorenz Larkin versus Keita Nakamura as well, so another um, you know recognizable name. Uh, Goichi Yamauchi is on here against Darren Cruikshank. That could be a fun card. And then, of course, you get all the Ryzen fights as well. It, it's interesting how this fight card is being constructed, Bellator 237, because it very much is – almost like two events happening together. It's like the two organizations are kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're partnering together, but they're very much taking care of, you know, their own sections of the lineup. So um, Bellator 237 is going to start at 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night. Now, that's actually noon Eastern here, or noon Eastern, noon local here in Tokyo uh, on Sunday morning. But it's kind of cool. It, it's starting with the Bellator fights and then those rising fights afterwards um, those are going to be classified as post limbs and it seems like they will stream live on the Bellator YouTube channel um, so of course rising has a local um, domestic broadcast deal but they don't have an international broadcast deal they do fight TV for their their big pay-per-view events but um, you know this being what it is, kind of prelims, whatever. I don't think they wanted to do pay-per-view. So my understanding is this will stream live on Bellator's YouTube channel. So, um, you know, kind of a wild weekend, but I dig it, man. Wouldn't have it any other way. So happy to be over here. Um, feeling a ton better. Apologize if my voice is still a little rough to listen to. Um, definitely still a touch sick, no question about it. Um, but right now it's just, you know, a little bit of cough and some, um, you know, st- stuffy nose, that sort of thing, man. Last week I, I thought I was, I thought I was dying. So what a, what a difference a, a week can make. I was just bad out last week. So, um, I will say, by the way, apologize to anybody if it seemed like clickbait <laughs> because the, the structure of the episode was last week, uh, the title was the end of an era. And then the description was, for nearly five years, through rain, sleet, and snow, the road show was there for you. Last, it seems all things must come to an end. Um, and it's funny because I put that text together because, I, you know, I didn't feel like yesterday. I felt like last week was the first time we didn't deliver a full episode. You know, it was just me meagerly, meekly trying to make my way through being sick. And uh, therefore, I didn't know if we should even count that as a full episode. And so I thought our streak of 247 consecutive Thursdays had come to an end. Um, 
first off, let me just say that I had quite a bit of people reach out to me on social media and said, John, don't worry about it. You made it. You, you put together an episode. It was half an hour. I mean, hey, that's still a good episode for some shows. So it counts. The streak continues, and I appreciate that. But it was funny because I sent it. Uh, I sent the text off to Cold Coffee to get it edited, and he was like, "Are you sure that's not like clickbait?" And I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't think it's clickbait. I mean, I, I, I'm just saying what I feel. I, I think it's legit." And then right away, as soon as it's published, my wife actually hit me up, and she said, "Is the is are you guys done doing the podcast? Is that it? <laughs> is the podcast over?" Oh, that was hilarious. I mean, what? To be honest, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, she doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, she's got enough mixed martial arts in her life, man. You know, she doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, but she saw the text, I guess, somehow, and she thought, "Is that it? Are you guys ending the podcast?" So I apologize to anybody if that came across as clickbait. It definitely wasn't. I thought I was just uh, conveying the fact that I was worried our streak had come to an end. But as far as I'm concerned. The streak continues. But enough about that. Let's get into uh, Bellator 237. Uh, a, uh, a An exciting week out here in Tokyo. You know, Scott Coker, of course, is, is fired up about this, man. He's got a history of promoting events here, and, and I think he, he understands the market. And from what it sounds like, ticket sales doing very, very good, um, which is not something that we could say in the past with UFC events. So I got to say, you know, even though I had a chance to come out here a couple times and see some UFC events, um, you know, they'll, they'll admit it to you, the, you know, the, the partner that they had here and the business they did here, they didn't necessarily love it. You know, the UFC didn't necessarily hit a home run here and that's why they had to kind of withdraw from the market a little bit. And, and that's fine. I mean, it's not a, a massive global market, so it's not like they can't survive without crushing it and, you know, hitting a home run here. Um, but it sounds like you know ticket sales and, and fan interest is pretty high in this event uh, here locally. So I'm I'm actually excited to get in there on Sunday and, and see how the building felt, you know, versus uh, UFC events, for instance, which um, you know ran the ran the gauntlet a little bit, you know, kind of petered out at the end, but um, still definitely had some incredible moments. I mean, Vanderlei Silva, Brian Stan, an, an all-time classic, um, was, was happy to be able to see Vanderlei Silva perform in a in a fight like that inside Thomas Super Arena. I mean, there was definitely some uh, nostalgic feelings going on there. Man, I always thought that would have been an amazing moment for Vanderlei Silver to, to call it a career. But, of course, that certainly wasn't the case, and it kind of uh, – it's been a long, meandering road since then. But, um, but we'll get a chance to see Quentin Rampage Jackson uh, perform here. And, um, of course, we saw him here before, and it wasn't exactly – uh, memorable, but I, I, this is a different Quentin Rampage Jackson. The energy that he is bringing to the table is something different, to say the least. So, um, had a chance to speak to him just earlier. The media day wrapped up just a little bit ago, and uh, and when I say media day, by the way, it was it was a pretty big media day in terms of Japanese media, English speaking media. It was basically uh, just me and the MMA fighting crew, so we kind of got our own little area, and. Uh, it was it was kind of nice actually. It was just like a little little kind of private one on one. So uh, Rampage came in with some energy. Now Rampage uh, had a a CBD MD shirt on, um, but once he realized he was doing a video interview, he wanted to have some Bellator. Uh, excuse me, have some Monster I should say logo representation. And so he looks around to his crew right away, and he's like, "What what, what do we got? Do we got a T-shirt? We got what do we got?" And they're like, "No, we got well, we got this uh, we got this." 
you know, a handkerchief right here, bandana or whatever you want to call it. That's the same thing, right? <laughs> Just one's way less cool than the other. But anyway, they get this bandana, and he's trying to figure out how he wants to put it on. You know, does he want to wrap it around his head and, you know, make it a little headband or whatever? Or does he want to do something different with it? And he decides, you know what? I'm going to put it on uh, outlaw style. So he, he puts it on like he's about to go rob a bank in the Wild West. Um, and, and so that I, I wanted to set that visual because this interview uh, starts with us talking about visually how he's looking. And it progresses from there. It goes from, uh, well... This is Rampage going full Rampage. I think that's pretty much the only way to preface it, man. This is this is uh, Rampage in uh, in fine form. Well, Rampage, first things first, got to ask. I mean, it's quite the uh, the appearance that you've got here. What's what's with the uh, the bandana, the, the, the mask you got going there? Man, I got this mask and this bandana on, man. I got this bandana on. Y'all know what's up. Y'all know what time it is. I'm here to steal the show. I'm back in Japan, baby. This is my stomping ground. This is where I got my motherfucking name from. Japan, baby. And I'm black. I mean, I'm back. Y'all already knew I was black, right? I'm back. I'm back up in this bitch. Well, I was going to ask you if you get emotional. I mean, this is a, a big card. I mean, you're, you're a superstar in Japan back at the scene of the crime, Saitama Super Arena. I was going to ask you if this was an, an emotional night for you, but it seems like maybe you answered that already. Yeah, it's emotional. The Saitama Super Arena is the first place I ever fought here in Japan when I fought Sakuraba. Right after I got out of jail, they, they bailed me out of jail, flew my ass to Japan, and they lowered me down in, 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 in a cage. With, with Sakuraba, uh, you know, because pride was the assholes that just bailed me out of jail, so they had to capitalize on it. And the only person that knows why I went to jail is, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Chris. Chris the only person that knows why I went to jail right before I went to Japan to fight in pride is Chris Brennan. He's the only person that know why. I'm going to leave it at that. Is that a story that it's time to it's tell? A, it's a story. There's a story behind it. Y'all ask Chris Brennan. He, he won't tell the truth, but I will. Was Chris Brennan involved? Chris Brennan was involved. I was training with Chris Brennan at the time because it's a whole big story. I don't know if y'all ready for this, but but the story is I was training with Tiki and Tito Ortiz in Huntington Beach, but the guy, the asshole, the dick face, the big chin, moon, moon face ass, asshole that started me to training, uh, he the one who started me to training, and I was loyal to him. He left, he left the gym because Tito came and he was jealous of Tito, so he went over to Chris Brennan. And like he the guy that got me started in MMA. So what I do? Be loyal, because I'm a wolf. We loyal. I went to you know the same gym with him. I went to Chris Brennan's gym. I love some of the guys over there. I'm still good friends with a lot of guys, like Tracy Hansen, a lot of guys and stuff from over there, some good stand-up people. But to be quite honest, it was kind of it was kind of like uh, uh, it was kind of like a fish out of water. And I kind of got reminded that I was black every day that I was training over there. I'm just being honest. It's Orange County, back in, back in you know, early 2000. And I go, okay, I know I'm black, so what the deal? Let's go. What's up? Anyway, long story short, Chris Brennan was training me, and somehow he asked Pride if somehow I don't make it to the show, could he fight soccer All I know is, all I know is I got arrested getting on that damn airplane because I got in trouble in college. I wasn't supposed to leave the country that I forgot all about. They put money in my face, said I'm finna fight in Japan, a, a country full of hot Asian women, and I'm getting paid? I'm getting paid? You think I'm gonna remember that I'm not supposed to leave the fucking country? I forgot all about that shit I did in college. 
Goddamn, that was college. I'm a grown, I'm a grown ass man. I'm a grown ass man. They trying to remind me of some shit I did in college. I forgot I wasn't supposed to leave the country. And and all I know is when I get to Japan, Chris Brennan them, they know I, I they didn't know I got bailed out. They didn't know I got to Japan. For all I know, Chris Brennan got his fight kit, like he ready to fight. That's all I gotta say. That's old school. Man, why y'all hey, why y'all on the side filming this shit? Fuck wrong with y'all. All right, what kind of publication y'all with? <laughs> Rampage, what's, what's been getting ready for this fight been like for you, man? I know how much you know, respect you have for Fedor uh, and admiration for him. So I got to wonder, has it been difficult or challenging or has it been exciting for you to get ready for this fight? Well, I'm going to tell you all something uh, straight up. I've been trying to tell you guys for years. Maybe y'all don't believe me, but I'm a Gemini and I'm two people. So, yeah, it's, kind of, it's been kind of hard for me to mentally prepare and, and, and get ready for this fight because, you know, I, you guys know how I like to knock people out of my team. Like, oh, you got to knock them out. You got to knock them out. And me being a big fan of Fedor, I'm thinking that's the last thing he needs to be is get knocked out like right away and stuff like that. But none of that matters because when I get in that cage, Rampage fight, Rampage don't have no friends. I don't even like that motherfucker. And nobody like Rampage. Rampage don't like nobody. So it, it don't matter. You know, I, I'm you know I'm cool. I love I love everybody. I respect everybody. But Rampage don't give a fuck. He just like to fight. That's all. He loves to fight. He don't care. He don't care who it is. Like what what y'all don't know about me is that I've been even before my professional uh, career. I've been in over a thousand fights growing up. Cause I got a cousin. God rest his soul. Now that I grew up in the hood, and my cousin is like six months younger than me. And my mama told me, ever since I was in Pampas, me and him been fighting. And we grew up fighting. And I remember, I, rem I, I don't remember our first fight, but I just remember growing up fighting. And we lived close together. And it's 365 days in a year, right? And out of those 365 days, we would fight at least two, 200 times in a year. And I fought him from, my mom said, from Pampas all the way up till I moved away to went to college. Till I turned 17. At 17, I, I moved out of the neighborhood. And I started wrestling. He wouldn't fuck with me no more after that. You know what I'm saying? So I, and fighting him and fighting everybody else in the, in the hood, all the bullies. I've been in over over a thousand fights in my life. Like, I, I, Rampage love fight. Rampage love fight. Uh, Quinn, you know, I like making people laugh. I like joking around. I like entertaining people. That's what I like to do. And I like fucking. And video game. That ain't no secret. But Rampage... He don't fuck. He don't play video games. He just like to fight. How long can Rampage stay in control of, of the two? Because, you know, this is the Fedor retirement tour. Are we starting on the Rampage retirement tour? Or, or has Rampage still got plenty of energy left? Man, I still, got, I still got it. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I still love the sport. I, live, I still love the sport. I'm not even really, you know, I'm not even really focusing on that. When it's time for me to lay it down, I'm going to lay it down. Like, Father Time is one opponent that's going to forever be undefeated. But just because somebody undefeated don't mean I ain't going to go at it full speed. I'm going to, I'm, I'm headbutting Father Time all the time. You know what I'm saying? He ain't defeat me yet. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to give up. I ain't no quitter. But I know I'm going against somebody that's undefeated. In the meantime, though, how special is this to you? I mean, two all-time greats, and not only meeting, but doing it back in Saitama, doing it in Japan. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel like this is kind of an iconic moment? I mean, we're closing out the decade. I mean, do you feel like this is a special moment in MMA history? It's a special moment in MMA history. No matter what the naysayers say, the guys who's never going to do anything in their lives, the, the never-has-beens, 
We want to say about two old guys getting in there. The true MMA fans are going to win because there's not going to be a loser. There's not going to be a loser. No matter who get their hand raised, there's not going to be a loser. Because when two legends get in there and do what they love and put on the show, the fans win. So, yes, we both we can't make it a draw. We both can't get our hands raised. whoop de doo Somebody, somebody got to win, somebody got to lose. I want to win. It's my daughter's birthday. I know he want to win. It's his daughter's birthday. Both our motivation is, is exact the same. You know what I'm saying? This is like, this is like will versus will. Like, who, who want, who, who's going to lay down on their daughter's birthday? Like, what people don't know about fighting, it's always like that little voice in the back of your head that's telling you, like, all right, you can go ahead and tap out. You can put yourself in bad position to tap out. I see it all the time. Well, and when I watch a fight, I see it all like, oh, he put himself there so he can tap out. It's always that little voice in the back of your head. All right, go ahead and get choked out. Fuck it, you tired. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you getting your ass kicked. Go ahead and fall down. Like you got knocked out, man. You getting a good paycheck. You know what I'm saying? It's always that shit in the back of your head where, where fans don't know. But when it's your daughter's birthday and she's watching and you fighting a dude and his, his daughter's birthday, all you can think about is, damn, we was fucking at the same time. I mean, you think, you, think, you think about, you know what I'm saying? Whose will is going to be stronger? So wait, at one point, you were creating your daughter and Fader was the other side of the world. Creating his daughter. I was just wondering, <laughs> I was wondering if he was putting his thumb in the asshole like I was doing. I was like, I don't know. Is he a freak like me? And it kind of ruined, honestly, since I learned that, it kind of ruined my sex life. Because when I'm having sex now, all I do, do is think about Fedor. <laughs> I think about, damn, is Fedor having sex right now? Thinking about me? <laughs> Am I still hetero? I'm having sex with a girl, but thinking about Fedor having sex with a girl. What's, what is this world coming In those to? thoughts, does he wear the sweater, or how does it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see him with a straight face, no emotion on his face, with his ugly Christmas sweater on, doggy style some chick. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's going through my mind every time I have sex. Like, no emotion on his face. He's talking to silence some chick. Straight face. Not even looking at the back of her head. With that sweater on, nothing else. <laughs> Ray Rich, how do you think it's affect this, this fight plays out? I mean, we know that you, you took out his whole body of work, but now you're a heavyweight. I'm a heavyweight. You might be bigger than him. He might be faster than you, which we would have thought the other way around before. I mean, do you think he might have a power advantage, or do you think you might have a heavyweight? How do you think this plays out now that you're a heavyweight? Well, uh... This is a good uh, matchup because uh, Fedor is a, the first true heavyweight that I've ever gone to face, in my opinion. I don't think I ever faced a true heavyweight. I've been fighting a little bit of guys who faster than me and like can out wrestle me and, and you know all this and out game plan me. But you know Fedor's a true heavyweight, and I think it's gonna be a, a good test for me. I think he has speed, he has power, you know, and. Um, and he's not, he's, not, he's not shy, and he's good on the ground. He's a very, very dangerous opponent. And um, I meet this challenge head on. I think that uh, I do some things uh, very well that's, um, that makes it a good matchup for, for me against Fedor. You know, you said Father Tom's coming. What do you want to accomplish? What's left for you to do before you feel comfortable laying it down and saying, I've had enough? What are the things that you want to tick off the list? Uh... If I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be 100 honest, uh, my number one goal is to entertain people. I like entertaining people, but um, at the same time, all these years I put my my body in a uh, 
through a lot of pain. I'm, you know, there's a lot of things I can't do exactly the same because of this job of me entertaining people. I know when I get old, I'm, it's going to be a hard time. I probably got to get two new knees and hips and you know, a couple of different elbows and all this stuff. So uh, I think uh, I don't think that I earn enough money. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that I, I, when I hear Mayweather fighting for two hundred million dollars and whatever him and Conor McGregor and all this stuff, I'm thinking like, you know, I can I can if I promote it right, I can I can I can sell I can sell tickets like that. So you know, I, I've been ripped off a couple times by managers. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna say no names because I'll probably get sued again. But I've been ripped off. I'm keeping it real. I, I, I don't gotta lie about that. Whoever think I'm lying about that, you know, kiss my black ass. I don't lie about shit like that. I've had millions stolen from me, millions. And I wanna, before I retire, I wanna recoup that back. Tiki Carson, you know, with Arsenal, not only do I trust him and them, you know, wholeheartedly, because hell, I've been knowing Tiki for, you know, as long as I've been, you know, a professional fighter. But he sent me to a financial advisor, the right financial advisor, and they gave me like my, my you know, whatever, my achievement, whatever. They already making me money with my retirement. They, they, they proved to themselves. They proved like, oh, I can trust these people. These people are actually making me money. They're not having me sign these papers and signing stuff. You know, I've been ripped off about what people, I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing. I'm thinking I'm signing um, uh, college funds for my kids, you know, putting money away for my kids in the college thing where it's not, you know, it's not going to be, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's not going to be messed with. It's just going to make, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just going to make money just by the bank using it. You know what I'm saying? And next you know, that, that it's all a lie. You know, I, I'm thinking I'm being smart, but with the wrong people. So now I'm finally at the end, like near the end of my career because, you know, I'm 41. And, and now I'm with the right people that can actually make my money grow. And they're teaching me how to make my money make money. So now I don't got to be no male prostitute. I was going to have to get my elephant skin drawers out and saw back fucking fat bitches in Vegas. But now I can just keep doing what I love and fight. <laughs> all right, so there you have it, Quentin. Rampage Jackson, I you know where do you even start with all that? It, it was cool. I I really enjoyed it, man. I, I felt like there were some you know moments of real honesty from Rampage, um, but also some moments of real entertainment, man. The the, the showman being the showman, um, and just and just giving us quite a quite a story to talk about. You know, not much that we can write about, <laughs> not much that we can uh, play um, <laughs> in any place that we're trying to monetize it. So. Uh, but interesting nonetheless. So, um, you know, he, as he was kind of walking out of the room afterwards, he's like, hey, I know everybody says I'm old, but you're going to miss me when I'm gone. And, and man, he definitely is a, a one-of-a-kind character. So um was cool to see kind of Quentin Rampage Jackson being that, that vintage uh, Rampage. So um, now, as far as the fight itself, uh, this is a heavyweight Rampage, and we'll see what that means. Um, I think Nolan King from our website caught up with Sam Calavita earlier uh, this week and said that, look, you know, this is going to be a rampage that's that's still, um, you know, uh, you know, it's not just an overweight rampage. This is a rampage that's going to have some power about him and that that we put some structure into. And, you know, they want to get him down to 205 at some point, but that this will be a prepared heavyweight. 
And that's good because, I mean, a heavyweight rampage could just mean, uh, you know, a rampage that isn't dialed in and focused. But it seems like this is an important fight for him and something that, you know, he wants to perform well in. So I'm intrigued by it. I mean, you know, right up front, both guys in their 40s, you know, they'll, they'll admit it. You know, we're not we're not 100% in, in terms of, you know, vintage era, if you will, um, but, but certainly capable of, of doing big things and, um, you know, who's got the power advantage? Who's got the speed advantage? Does Rampage want to wrestle or, or does he want to try to stand and trade? Um, we'll see. We'll see, you know. And, and if this crowd is, is what we think it's going to be, you know, does that play a factor in anything? Will, um, you know, will they get those, those vintage feels? And, and, you know, will it impact somebody into wanting to do something special? I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, Fade of My Million Eco did come and speak to us as well. I won't, I won't play you his audio. It is on YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, Mike Kogan um, was, was translating for us. You know, Fedor is Fedor. Uh, he's, he's very stoic. Um, it's, it's fun. I mean, there is still very much uh, an aura around Fedor Million Eco that anybody will tell you is still there. I mean, this guy is, is one of the all-time greats of the sport and one of the you know kind of mysterious figures, so to speak. So, uh, it, it's fun to talk to him, but you know, it's not like he's going to give you any crazy stories or anything like that. He's, he's not giving you bad answers, um, but he's not going to give you crazy, you know, wild answers either. He's going to be respectful. Um, he's going to make sure that, you know, uh, he's not offending anybody. I don't think, um, the, the wry little smile is always fun to, to watch there as well. Um, but you know, that, that is on, uh, our YouTube channel. It'll be on MMA junkie as well. So, um, Definitely, you know, uh, worth uh, checking out Checking out there to at least catch up on Fedor. The co-main event uh, was supposed to be Michael Chandler versus Benson Henderson. Benson Henderson had to withdraw Sydney Outlaw, a name that's kind of been bouncing around on the regional stage and uh, Dana White's Contender Series and CFFC and, um, you know, to, to recently Bellator where he, where he came out of the – out of the blocks in his debut and picked up a win over Roger Huerta. So the guy is moving along very, very quickly in terms of his opportunities under the Bellator banner. But um, Sidney Outlaw steps in against Michael Chandler, who suffered a defeat last time out, a very frustrating defeat, uh, you know, one that uh, he didn't necessarily agree with the stoppage in, but that saw him seed over his lightweight title to Patricio Freire. And, of course, that is a um, – a, a big time rivalry uh, among among this group. Those two, those uh, brothers, the the Pitbull brothers, the Ferrari brothers, and and Michael Chandler are not good friends. So you can imagine the loss was very very frustrating. But Michael Chandler throughout his career has been always such a, a consummate professional. And uh, man, I was interested in talking to him and and just seeing kind of how he was feeling with um, you know I, I don't want to say the pressure, but not not the result he wanted last time out, especially against that particular person and, and how he was stepping in this time as well. And um, I just I, I love talking to Michael Chandler. I feel like he's always so open and honest and direct. And um, it was it was great to catch up with him. He was he was every bit um, the well spoken interview that you thought he would be and, and insightful as well. So um, here's what Michael Chandler had to say. Well, let us know what is what has life been like since May 11th for you? Uh, man, just a lot of the same. It's it's funny too. You, you can always talk about the negatives of loss. You can talk about the pain of a loss, the, the anguish, the fears, the doubts, the insecurities, the discouragement. But there's a lot of freedom that comes in a loss, you know. And, and, it's, and I think that's something that's not 
that's not taken into consideration so much in this sport. You know, we think we think that life is defined by the wins and the losses and, and the ups and the downs. But truthfully, there's a lot of freedom that comes in a loss. There's only one way to go now. And I secretly love when my back's up against the wall. I secretly love when I when I'm coming off of a loss. You know, it's kind of that wrestler mentality. You lose a, lose a wrestling match on on Wednesday, you get to you get to redeem yourself on Saturday. You know, it's kind of how it always was, and I've always been like that. And you know, losing a Patricio Pitbull is 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 uh, you know that's no. He's he's not a guy that's has that loses much. You know, um, so it's not like I lost lost to a nobody. He's a world class fighter, so my hats off to him. Caught caught me in a good spot. I zigged when I should have zagged, and uh, here we are. But you know, now here here I am. Um, about to fight at the Saitama Super Arena with Fedor and Rampage, so I'm excited about it. That kind of <clears throat> mature approach to it, I mean, is that something that's common in your career? Because I think about you as a, an incredibly competitive guy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it difficult to not dwell on the results so much and realize that there is more to it? Um, it would be if you didn't know my past. I mean, I, I lost three fights in a row, 688 days without a win because I lost that I lost that first fight to Eddie, and for some reason I let the loss and I let the negativity, I let it all affect me so much. And now the older I've gotten, the more I've realized. I think I've also just gotten more freedom in the sense that I realize I've been in the sport for 10 years. I've made a great living. I have a, a beautiful family at home that is being taken care of very well because of this sport and because of what the people before me have done. And uh, I've seen so many people come into this sport who were supposed to be world champions and they end up fizzling out. Or I've seen so many great talents who've had really bad injuries and they have to quit um, and they have to, to, to retire early. And for me to be in this sport for 10 years, shoot, man, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm fighting on borrowed time at this point, you know, cause this has been such a, such a great long career and it's been such a, such a great, um, a great time, a great experience. And I've been, I've done nothing but get better. Even through my losses, I gain experience and I gain fans. Every single every single loss that I've had, I've I've gained more fans than I would have if I would have lost. The way that I handled this last loss spoke volumes about my character and about who I am. And I've had so many hundreds of thousands of people tell me that, whether it be through social media or YouTube or whatnot. So it's been it's been really cool, and uh, it was not something that that was you know, cultivated overnight. I had to go through the experience of, a, you know, that was my fifth loss now in this career. And the, the good thing is the older you get, the more you realize that mixed martial arts is a, it is a, what have you done for me lately business, but it's also a, a uh, very forgiving business. You can be a guy who loses a fight and then all of a sudden now you're fighting at the Saitama Super Arena co-main co -main event and jerking the curtain for, for uh, Fedor and Rampage. So here we go. I was going to say, I mean, you've had some big moments in your career, but is this one right? Cause I mean, is this special, like the fan inside you a little bit? I mean, is this one, yeah. is this one unique? It is. And it's, and it's funny too. And I always say this about this sport. It's, it's, it's a tragedy that it's a tragedy that you don't get to enjoy the experiences more. You know, I, sh I can't enjoy the experience of fighting inside Thomas super in it. Cause I, when I, whenever they open that curtain and I walk and I walk out there to the biggest crowd I've ever seen. And I remember all those huge fights in pride and the history of this arena fighting in Tokyo, Japan in front of a really, really awesome crowd. that is the Japanese, uh, MMA fan contingent. It, you can't let it get to you. You can't let it get to your head because then it goes to your heartbeat, your heart rate, and then it's going to affect the way that you fight. And then you, it's not until you get done with the fight that you can look back and say, man, that was pretty darn cool, you know? Um, so unlike a lot of a lot of sports, you, you can't enjoy the moment as much as you want to. But um, this is awesome. This is a dream come true. I mean, obviously fighting in Madison Square Garden and L.A. and Hawaii and some of these huge markets that I've done in the U.S. is, is awesome and nothing short of amazing. But... Saitama Super Arena in front of 40,000 people is, is a dream come true. You don't strike me as a guy that has issues with motivation, but yeah. I do wonder, I mean, change of opponent, going from a, a much more known commodity into a much lesser one. Mm -hmm. Did that mess with your mindset at all? 
Um, I'd be lying if I, if I said it didn't, if there wasn't a moment there where, where it affects you, you know, but I've, you know, unfortunately, and fortunately I've had a lot of experience with opponents getting hurt, injured, pulled out of the fight. I mean, this, this is just the nature of the business. You know, we, uh, we go out there and fight and train with reckless abandon and Benson Henderson is a, is a tough guy. And I know he, he, he would never pull out of a fight unless he had an injury. Um, so it was a day or two there where everything was up in the air, but they assured me they were going to keep me on the card, and they did. And, and uh, here we are fighting Sydney Outlaw. And either way, it's not really a fight against Sydney Outlaw. It's a fight against myself. You know, it's a fight against my, my talents, my abilities, the calling on my life, being able to go out there and, and just perform the way I know I, I, can, I can perform and the way, the way I know I need to perform. And, uh, you know, the, it's, it's not the, the greatest test that, that kind of define your character. It's, it's the times where you're, you're able to slack off this they I had every opportunity to slack off with a lesser opponent. Allegedly, I had every opportunity to cheat on my diet because we're fighting at 161. I had every opportunity to take the easy way out and not do the extra rounds, but that's not the way my heart beats. That's not the way my, the blood flows through my veins. And I've done that since day one. And, um, Sydney outlaw is going to get the same treatment that Benson Henderson would or could be, you know, Anything that he does that does strike you as a little bit dangerous or something you got to be careful with? You know, he's a, he's a big body. He's a he's a wrestler. He's a black belt. You know, in, in jujitsu, so he poses threats. He poses uh, he poses and and more than anything, he's the Rocky in this story, right? He's he gets the opportunity to fight a big name in a on, in a big market in a big arena, um, and in a big co-main event. I've been in that position, you know, eight years ago against Eddie Alvarez, but. Um, I've been the guy now that has had to either defend the title or defend my ranking or defend my name in the last, you know, 20 fights or so. So this is familiar territory for me. Um, go out there, do exactly what I need to do and fight like I've trained and um, everything should take care of itself, hopefully. I know you handle yourself as a professional, but are you on pit bull watch around the hotel or how, how does that work? Um, a little bit. I know they're here in, in, in town. Um, I, I mean, I've already thought if I, if I run into him, I mean, I, I, I got nothing but respect for him and, and the family. What am I, I mean, what am I supposed to do here? You know, I, I lost the last fight. The way I see it, though, I'm two and one against the Pitbull brothers, so so I'm still on the on the, on the upper hand. And if we get the rematch, it happens. If we don't, um, like I said, I, I've I've told numerous media outlets now that they they're like, is that the fight you want? You want that fight back? Do you want to fight him again? Get that back? I've never been a guy who's been motivated by getting back at another person. Um, I sleep well at night knowing exactly who I am and exactly what I've accomplished in the sport and exactly where my skill set is and exactly what would happen if we stepped into the cage again. Um, so I don't care whether or not that fight happens again. Um, but if we see each other here in the hotel, I'm sure he's got some shenanigans he, he would like to pull. Um, but I got to focus on uh, Sunday. Fair enough. Last thing for me. I mean, you mentioned kind of the freedom that comes along with it. Give me an idea. I mean, how, how do you see 2020? I mean, what, have, you, have you even thought it out yet? I mean, what, what do you want to accomplish? Um, 2020 is a... Uh, is a a year of simplistic simplicity as well as violence and 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 moving forward. You know, 2019, 2018, 2019 were were tough years for me and my me and my my family because of how much stuff we put on our plates. My wife and I are two people that are we're so equally yoked that we want to continue to strive and create things and and, and strive and 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 acquire. For my wife, it's she just graduated. This she's a doctor now, so she just she just graduated a couple weeks ago. So she was pursuing that, and we had our son two years ago. And then I built a gym, ten thousand square foot facility with overhead and employees and all kinds of stuff. And I, I've since simplified that. Bree just graduated from school, so 2019 we ended off with simplicity. 2020 we move into simplicity and significance and violence. You know, for me. Um, I realized who I am and who I am not at the age of 32 now, you know, 33 now. Um, so I kind of went to business school and, and, uh, 
life school, if you will. So I've, I've learned exactly who I am and who I am not. And in order for me to be the most successful and efficient and effective individual, I need to have less things on my plate and more focused on, on the things that really make me tick, which is my platform fighting me as an athlete and soaking up these last, this last half a decade I have left in the sport. Man, you can't do it much better than that. Michael Chandler, if there's ever a, a blueprint for how people should handle themselves or at least pattern themselves after, you know, you can't be exactly like somebody else, but to want to do it in the same way, um, man, that's not a bad guy to do it after, man, physically, mentally, spiritually, I guess. You know, any way you want to look at it, man, the guy is an absolute professional. So um, big, big fight for him, though. You know, he's going to want to get back in the win column, and all expectations are going to be on Michael Chandler here. I don't think there's any questions about that. Um, Sidney Outlaw, as as Michael Chandler pointed to, man, it's it's his, um, his rocky moment. You know, the world's against him. So, uh, interesting moment for Michael Chandler. He's got to deliver, and uh, sounds like he's pretty excited about this opportunity. Below those two guys is a, a fight that I'm very interested in, Shinzo Anzai and Michael Venom Page. Michael Venom Page, of course, lost earlier this year in spectacular fashion to Doug Gasleman. This is the first time I've had a chance to see him since then. He's been fighting abroad uh, over in Europe the last two times out. Of course, now here in Japan, I was not at the we, – we had coverage – of those Europe cards, but I wasn't there. So it was my first time to see uh, MVP up close and just kind of talk to him about the loss and the effects. And, uh, man, I, I was um, – I don't you know I don't know if it was because, you know – and I think it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, the media expectations, the media obligations, fighting in Japan versus fighting in Europe, you know, where he's been on that scene for so long and there's been these expectations and he's been the center of every story and he's been – um, you know, under a microscope with every move he makes. You know, that's certainly not the case here in Japan. And, and you know, the media contingent, like I said, as far as the English interview, was just me and Casey and Esther from MMA <laughs> Fighting. So, I mean, it was three of us. Um, and I don't know, man. It's just the vibe that Michael Venom Page had, I, I really was feeling it today. I mean, not that I don't appreciate the showman and appreciate the bravado and the, um, you know, the – just, I guess, the showman, you know, that he can be. I love that. And and I think he's going to get a chance to be that. I mean, can, I cannot wait to see this presentation of this card. I mean, we know that Bellator does the, the, the big in-stage setup, and they embrace, you know, the kind of over-the-top video elements and, and the walk-in and all that. And I am, I mean, knowing that they're working with Ryzen on this card. I mean, Saki Kibara, of course, um, was behind Pride. So, I mean, this is, you know... I mean, this is a, a a bastard stepchild of pride, so to speak. So I am so intrigued by what we're going to see. And I think MVP, man, this could be a, an opportunity for him to really showcase himself. And uh, I don't know, it was it was cool catching up because this was, this was not the brash MVP. This was not the over-the-top MVP. It was just an MVP um, that was kind of talking about the loss and where he stands since and how he gets back and what this weekend means to him. And um, I thought that was pretty cool. So here's, here's Michael Vinopage. Well, you are staying incredibly busy. I mean, was it three fights in like four months or something oh, like yeah. that? So, so give me an idea. I mean, is, is, is this a concerted effort? You've been pushing to, to stay like this? What's it like for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pushing a lot more, like asking for stuff, you know. Um, I think I kind of sat back a little bit too much before and kind of allowed other people to kind of navigate uh, 
my profile now is big enough for me to start, you know, really demanding for certain, certain things. You can obviously can push so far, but um, yeah, I'm using it, man. I like to I like to be this active. I want to continue this in in 2020 as well. Just just keep busy, keep busy. Is any of this activity a reaction to the loss? Like trying to like distance yourself from that that nah, night? Nah, not 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 really. Um, I, I, it's more a drive to get back to that fight. You know, um, I'm trying to just get as many fights. Back, so I'm back in the back into winning ways, and then get get that rematch again. That's it. Yeah, you know I think we always knew. I mean, a loss is going to happen. It happens in MMA, right? Yeah. I think we always knew that the haters were probably going to come oh, out yeah, when yeah. it did happen. Normal, normal. What, what what did you think? I mean, the backlash or what you saw? Were you expecting <clears> or did it surprise even you? It's weird because initially I had a lot of positive response, which I was weird like pleasantly surprised by um, I think you know the people that were messaging at the time I think they they watched the fight and they were like actually you know what we didn't expect you to do so well full stop to begin with so you know congratulations to you even though you lost you know da, 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 da. and I'm getting more haters now so now that kind of gone that's kind of in the back um, you know, every time I have a fight everyone's like yeah but Lima kicked your ass man it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's just part and parcel of it. It's just, it's never, it's never something that bothers me. I, I, I kind of, I accept that you're always going to get that. But you know, I only care about people that genuinely support who I am, uh, my fighting style, and just enjoy watching me perform regardless of the results. So that's it. You said it's been driving you to get back to that, you know, that rematch. So, I mean, in some ways, like, has it added to your motivation? I mean, was it at some point maybe were you not as driven because you were just, you know, beating everybody that stood in front of you? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I think things are just falling into, in, into place this way. Things have just happened this way um, uh, since the fight. And it's just, yeah, it's just, just being active. Just been, it's just been a, I think this year full stop has been a busy year. Um, but I prefer that. I definitely do prefer that. And um just uh, like I said, I want to just continue this this kind of uh, momentum uh, into 2020. Japan, end of year. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the perfect stage for you, right? I yeah, mean, when this yeah. opportunity came, to, like, does this feel like a kind of a special moment for you? Oh my days! Like, uh, I've heard about the audiences over here anyway, and uh, my goal, because I've heard, you know, it's, it's almost like a tennis match over here. They they're very appreciative of individual acts of good performances and uh, you know martial arts. Uh, uh, demonstration so then they, they applaud it and then it goes silent again and you're in an arena with like 37,000 people but it's you can hear your coach you, you can just hear everything supposedly and um, my, my, my goal is to just I should be doing so much crazy stuff that these guys can't stop applauding you know there's just keep them keep them uh, as the most active you've ever you've ever heard it so that's that's my goal I like it <laughs> what do you think about the opponent I mean Shinzo he's the kind of guy that could probably stay in your face and, and, and make this pretty exciting right 100% it's a, he's a tough opponent man uh, you can see by his record you can see by where you know the levels that he's fought at um, he's a wrestler type as well, uh, kind of like stand, stand and trade, and like you say, in your face the whole night. Doesn't you know? He, he, he won't fall easily. But I've said that about a few people as well, and I've changed them just because again they kind of get a bit uh, like a deer in headlights when fighting me just because they haven't seen it before. So they're kind of like, well, this is a bit you know they they hesitate, 
or they they over exaggerate and plow forward and end up running into something you know devastating so um we'll see we'll see definitely I, I, from you know from standing here looking at what i've seen he's a tough opponent I know your style is just what your style is, but yeah. knowing, like you said, this kind of platform, this moment, I mean, do you even go out there saying, all right, we got to turn it up a little bit. We're going to be even crazier uh, than normal. <laughs> you know what? I kind of, it's just whatever energy I kind of go in, uh, what, I, what I'm feeling at the time. Uh, it's, it's, it's also to do with the opponent as well. The second I see that bit of demoralization, you know, he's demoralizing. It's just like, ah, oh, man, I can see that he's lost look in his face then it allows me to be way more creative because I can get away with doing certain certain things. But it's all going to depend on the opponent to begin with. First things first, the fight's the, the most important thing. And the second I understand, or feel my opponent, get the, a judge of the distance and all that kind of stuff, from then on, it's, it's, it's party time. Nice. And I guess last thing for me, we know what you're looking for is that rematch. What do you think it's going to take? I mean, do you see the road? What, what, what's it going to take to get back to it? No, it's weird because, you know... Um, I had spoken about it directly after after the fight, you know, said how close I felt or how well I felt, felt I was doing before that even that even uh, the, the KO came. Um, Douglas Lima was speaking about me and said, you know, he's never fought anybody as fast as me before and, you know, it was exciting and he's looking forward to, you know, having that rematch. Second I won, he's like, nah, you have to fight some more people. <laughs> he kind of, he was like, nah, I, I'm not even letting you come back that quick. So... Um, it's gonna happen either way. He's, there's there's gonna be a point where he's not gonna be able to he's not gonna be able to stop it. And like I said, if I keep doing what I'm doing now, stay active, stay busy, keep beating people, then 100% you can't stop it. Um, you mentioned earlier about um, I guess t taking a little bit more control of your career, mm -hmm. a little bit like fighting more. Um, yeah. Like, was that a problem in the past? Do you think you kind of just you know you won your fights and it's like all right, cool, let me just kind of chill? Or yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think so I think it's. It seems to be, I don't know, just a, a thing that everybody does. So you kind of fall into the same pattern. So, you know, even when you have a quick fight where, you know, like my last fight, KO, quick, I'm completely fine, nothing wrong with me. And you feel the need to be like, oh, yeah, let's go on a holiday. And, you know, everyone has that kind of... And I get it because it's a, it's a long build-up. So it's not even necessarily what you're doing in, uh, in the cage in front of the people, it's what happens before that, the build up to that. We do a lot of training, we beat ourselves up, you feel like crap, you get in the cage, you have to perform, and then it's just a release of energy, you're like, oh, yeah, and then you do feel like the need to relax, but this time I was just like, nah, I, just, I want more, I want more. While, I'm, while I feel fresh, instead of, because a lot of times you start, you know, people start to get a bit more relaxed with their eating habits and this and that, and you, then when he goes back to training again, everything's very difficult. So I'm like, while I feel fresh, just keep going. There's no need for you to stop. Just the, you know, uh, fought on a Saturday, Sunday off, which is kind of normal. And then Monday back training. And again, Sunday, I already messaged Scott Coker. So I'm back training Monday anyway, back in. I'm just sitting on the sidelines, just like, just please, just tag me in, tag me in, please, 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 please. So yeah, I'm happy it, I, I did that because I'm here today and I'm about to tick off another uh, a box of a place that I really want to fight, you know, an audience I really want to fight in front of. Dublin was one of them. Uh, Japan is, is another one. I'm about to do that. Um, I've got Vegas and New York left. <laughs> when, when did this um, new energy come? Was this after the Lima loss or did it just kind of... I don't know. Um, I just think this, it's been a lot. There's been quite a heavy year for last, I think, last few years. And it, 
for me, it's more I've, I've learned, you know, no one cares about your, no one cares as much uh, about your progression as you do. So regardless, you can, even, everyone that's there even to support you, they still don't care as much as you do. So you have to just put in the work and sometimes people hearing it from you makes it that much more effective than hearing it from managers and agents and coaches and this and all this, all the mess in between. It's just like, no, nah, let me go straight to the, to the source and say, look, you know, I, I want to fight again. You, you just tell me exactly when that's going to happen. I'm ready. And um, just because we have cameras rolling and everything, um, who do you, like, who, this, this is a chance for you, but who, who do you train with? Who are your coaches? Where do you train at exactly? Yeah. I think, you know, everything's about, you know, it's about you, but, yeah. I, but I know there's a team that Oh, man, definitely, you. definitely, so, definitely. Can you, can you it's the of... London Shoot Fighters uh, team, Alexis uh, Demetriadis and Paul Ivins, uh, some of the most amazing coaches that never want to be seen on camera. And that's one of the reasons why I love them as well, because they, they, it is more about us in terms of the fighters. They do not care. You see, I see, uh, it's, I'm nothing against them, but I do see a lot of coaches that they, they enjoy being the face. They enjoy, they go and do book signings, they go and do seminars, they go and do this. My coaches are not into any of that stuff. It's all about the fighters. Uh, London Shoot Fighters, they've, they've, they were the first uh, um, mixed martial arts gym in the UK and they've just been around a long time and they, they know a lot they fought uh, with their fighters at every single level uh, at every single show um, that's ever existed <laughs> I feel um, and it's just great to be a part of a team that has history like that as well but my I call them the scientists because they are obsessive about any little details they want to get right they correct it and they push us hard. He's, he's a person that will be in the gym before us, be in the gym after us. Um, and the, he hits all, all the, the fitness uh, machines. He's got all the records. So it's hard to say to someone like that, you know, to, you know when he's telling you to be in the gym at a certain time and you're tired, it's, you can't say no to that when he, you know he's in there. He's not even fighting for anything and he's in there before you. You, you know, it just keep, it keeps you motivated. <laughs>
um, again, as as a one-off, you know, as a, as a throwback, you know, as a nostalgia-filled card. Um, and, and hopefully everybody else is kind of embracing it the same way. Um, like I said, if they were asking to pay for it, that might be something different, but they're not. So enjoy. Uh, all right, listen, um, we did get a chance to speak to Scott Coker as well. Um, Scott Coker it, it just stopped by for a little bit and was willing to give us a little bit of his time and talk to us about kind of a broad scope of things and just kind of where the overall direction of Bellator is moving and, uh, uh, you know, kind of what he sees in terms of a couple of divisions and, and other things along those nature, including this event itself. So uh, here is Bellator president Scott Coker. Well, Scott, I mean, a, yep. a year-in show here in Japan, I mean, for a lot of MMA fans, I think this is like nostalgia. I mean, do you, do you get that same sort of feeling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I think about this event, it just makes me feel good all the way around because, you know, I um, am so thankful to what I learned here when I was working with K1. And uh, when I think about, uh, you know, 19 years later, you know, being here and coming back and, and doing a big fight like this, it's just, it's just uh, such a great feeling. So nostalgia's here. Of course, we're having the biggest nostalgia fight probably in the history of MMA, you know, or one of them, right? Rampage versus Fedor, that, the fight that never happened. Um, but um, we're also bringing Michael Chandler, MVP, you know, Lorenz Larkin. So we're bringing a lot of great fighters that are going to, you know, hopefully have a, a great outing on the 29th. Yeah, I know a lot of people are excited for it. Not many organizations work as closely as you're willing to do here in Japan. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. but talk about it. I mean, it, it comes with some challenges as well. I mean, there's a reason organizations don't do it. So how's the experience been so far? Mm -hmm. And do you feel like this is you know, a one-time thing, or mm -hmm. could we maybe be starting a tradition here on, on, on New Year's Eve? I mean, really, we haven't even talked about that. Saki Bar and I have just said, look, let's do something that's going to be historic, that'll be memorable, that will just bring all these great fighters together. Um, you know what? He's got a great event on the 31st, and he's going to sell out. And I believe we'll sell out on the 29th. So here is a market and uh, a promoter that can, you know, sell 40,000 tickets in two nights, it is unbelievable, you know, and so to me, it's it's still, you know, the market that it all started in as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, there's a time where all the greatest fighters in the world fought here. Right. And uh, eventually branched off and they got bought. And but um, I, I was here during the heyday of K1 and Pride and you'd walk into a stadium in Tokyo Dome. There's 50, 60,000 people. It's it's a very rare location that things that have happened here. I haven't seen happen anywhere else in the world. Yeah, no question about it. This Fedor uh, retirement tour is, is officially launching, right? Yeah. So give us an idea. I mean, how do you envision this thing playing? How long does this tour last? Where do we go? What, what are we talking about here in terms of Fedor? Well, you know, um, how I feel about Fedor is he, he has a, he's a very special fighter, a very special person in the landscape of MMA. And he is a legend. And he was, a great, to me, the greatest heavyweight of all time. Uh, and saying that, you know, I feel like he should be honored and treasured on his way out. And he should go out on his own terms. And that's really what this is all about. I got to give him that respect that he deserves. And uh, we said we're going to sign him to a three-fight uh, retirement tour. And uh, this is the first stop. This will be the last time he fights in Japan. Uh, so if they want to see him live, they have to come down and check him out. Uh, and, um, you know, against a legendary fighter like Rampage, who got his start here, Fedor got his start here, it's, it's just going to be a, a great night. And... And uh, but getting back to Fedor, the second fight, hopefully, if if he is OK, doesn't get hurt, you know, maybe we could fight towards, you know, late fall or early fall um, location. Don't know. But uh, 
in my mind, the second fight will be someplace in Europe or the Middle East, and then the third fight will be in Moscow maybe sometime next year. That's, that's the game plan, because I, I would love to do a fight uh, in Moscow with Bellator with Fedor's, Fedor's retirement fight. It'd be pretty cool. Yes. With this dual cards, I'm kind of interested. I mean, you've got Patricky on the 31st. These, mm -hmm. these kind of crossover fights, I wonder, with you and Saki Kabara, is, is there a little rivalry going on? I mean, you kind of have a little professional zing at each other. Well, you know what? Honestly, I felt that... You know, there's no way Horiguchi's going to be called well. That's what I thought until he, until he beat him twice. So, so you know, to me, we have to come back with a vengeance here and re redeem. But in, in in all fairness, it's 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 all in good sportsmanship. It's all in you know good martial arts competition. Uh, and so, but to me, we want to win too. He wants to win. I talked to him last night, and you know, he feels like these guys have a good chance. And I said, well, you know. I, don't, I can't say anything because you know you 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 beat us beat us up last time. So let's see. But I feel like we got a good roster here to compete with them and and uh, you know let the the chips fall where they may. Yeah. You mentioned Horiguchi. I mean the way that whole situation played out. Does it does it make you hesitant to, to involve titles and that sort of thing moving forward? I mean it was a very mm -hmm. unfortunate situation. No, I don't think anybody could have seen coming. But mm -hmm. does it does it make you a little concerned about belts being on the line? You know what I'll tell you. Um, I guess deep down the answer is yes, but it won't stop me from doing crazy things that you know I think the fans want to see. And you know, to me, it was a lot of fun doing that promotion. Will we do it again? Absolutely. And it's just unfortunate for Horiguchi, who you know got got hurt and he couldn't continue. And so um, you know, these things happen in this sport, as you know. People get hurt. Uh, we'll we'll just start ramping up next year for uh, a new champion as Horiguchi gets healthy, he might be out for a year almost, right? So we're, we're definitely going to crown a new champion in 135. Um, but the process of that, I'm not sure how, you know, exactly how we're going to do it or what we're going to do, but we'll figure out something. And, you know, it just might be single elimination fights that, you know, lead to a title fight, and, and that might be it. Nice. Another name that we thought we might see out here was Ryan Bader. I think that would have been mm -hmm. a, a fun cross. Mm -hmm. It didn't end up happening. What's, what's the update on him? It's, it's been a while since we got a chance to see him. So since we didn't see him here, what's the update on him? Yeah, Ryan, uh, my understanding is he wants to fight sometime in March, and he's going to defend his 205 belt. That's what he wants to do. So we're going to do that, and uh, we'll hopefully have location, opponent, uh, all the details uh, to now sometime you know, early, early in January. Do you still see him defending both belts? I mean, is that still something he wants to try and do? Yeah, he's going to defend both belts until he loses one. I mean, that's just how, how it's going to be. So, uh, but we have a lot of guys, you know, to give him some good competition. So, I think that uh, him coming down to 205 started off, and then I'd like to keep him busy next year. I'd like to have him fight at least three times, maybe four times next year. Nice. I want to ask you about Lovato as well. He's been on the sidelines for a little mm -hmm. bit. What's uh, mm -hmm. what's the next move for him? Um, you know what? I'm not sure. We haven't really uh, been talking uh, too much, but, uh, you know, come January, everybody's going to be reaching out about, you know, what am I fighting? So, you know, we've been focusing on Hawaii, which was uh, two amazing events. Uh, the troops event for the USO was just really, really, it was just really special being there and, uh, and doing that fight for, for the guys that, you know, the men and women that defend this country um, or defend the USA. Um, and then uh, Alima, she put on a great show, fought a tough you know, Kate Jackson, she was scrappy, scrappy, uh, you know, she put on a, a good fight. I, I thought she was going to tap at some point, but she, 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 she brought it, man. So, um, but then we fo we're focusing on this fight. This is a big fight for us, a big event, uh, Saitama Super Arena. Come on, that's like, that's like Madison Square Garden in America. This is the mecca of, of martial arts fighting. You know, this is, this is it. So to me, to have a Bellator event here, 
at Saitama Super Arena with all the fighters that we have here, the, and then the fighters that will be fighting, you know, against the Ryzen fighters. Uh, and I think we're going to sell out. So to me, uh, Sakibara told me that this would be the most successful uh, event that a foreign company has come to America, uh, come to Japan, and put on as far as ticket sales go. Uh, in the history of this country, other than a Japanese fight promotion company. So does that give you a little special bit of uh, pride to, to say to be able to accomplish something like that? Well, you know, it's funny you say pride, right? <laughs> that's that's pretty good. I, I like that, John. That's pretty good. Dun, dun, dun. But you know what? It's uh, of course. I mean, you know, this is the Mecca, man. This is where it all started. Where? What other country could you go to, let's say in the 90s and 2000s, where you could go to Pancras, Shudo, you go to Rings back then, you could go to Pride, you can go to K1, you could go, uh, you know, to probably 10 different karate organizations competing, uh, Kyokushin, Seido Kaikan. I mean, it, it was something you could go someplace every week and watch martial arts fighting. And so I don't know of another culture like that. You know, this, this is truly the Mecca. So to come here, perform at the level that we're performing, to sell this building out, it's, it's really an accomplishment. I, I think it's something that's definitely, uh, we get to chuck, chuck one up on the bucket list here. I know we're all excited this, so I don't want to lean too far into 2020, but I did want you to look ahead. Bud and Cyborg, mm -hmm. great way to kick off 2020 for you. I got, I got to wonder for you, especially knowing the role in, in women's MMA that you've played, mm -hmm. is this, is this a, an especially exciting one for you? Kind of kind of champ versus champ, kind of, you know, bringing in an all-time yeah. Like, is, is this a special one for you? Yeah, I mean, you know what? Listen, Cyborg is the greatest female fighter of all time. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. I was there in the beginning too, and I've seen it all unfold, and, and it's a much different environment today than it was back, but I know who's been dominating for the last 10 years and who's been destroying people for the last 10 years. So, you know, 10 years from now, we can have a different conversation, right? See how far um, different ladies can take it. But as far as today, you've got the greatest female fighter of all time fighting Julia Budd, who to me is gonna give Cyborg everything she can handle. And some people underestimate Julia Budd, but I'm telling you, this girl can hang. She is physical. I'm not sure if you saw the stare down, but she is a physical, you know, great stand-up, great wrestling. She's, she's gonna be, there's gonna be a certain physicality I think that she brings that Cyborg's gotta be in shape and she's gotta be hungry and she's gotta come to really throw it down because uh, Julia's gonna bring it. And so I'm looking forward to that big clash. And I think that, you know, it's a great way to start the year, right? January 25th in LA at the Forum. Great way to start the year. And uh, we have a great undercard in that fight as well. But that just leads to, you know, 30 fights in the, in the year of 2020. So uh, we have our hands full and we got a lot of events going on. And, and uh, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be in the Beltor business right now. Your European expansion has done very, very well. And I'm mm. just curious kind of, what your thoughts are for that in 2020. I've heard some people saying, maybe you should start crowning European champions, you know, have that kind of level because you've had such success there. Is that a possibility? What do you think for Europe? Yeah, you know, I think that um, the boxing model does that, right? They have European champions or they have, you know, different champions in different territories. Uh, we haven't decided exactly, you know, if we're going to follow that model, but it's definitely a, an option. Uh, but, um, you know, the fights that we do in London, Dublin is so much fun. I mean, it's it's just a party going on in Dublin. And then next year, the two new cities, um, I believe, will be uh, Amsterdam. We'll definitely go to Amsterdam next year. And uh, uh, we're trying to fit the uh, Stockholm in there. So those are the two new cities. Uh, along with, we'll go back to Tel Aviv again. We're going to go back to Milan. 
for sure. We already have a date for that fight. So, you know, it's going to be an eight-city tour, and it's going to be built for the European market. We'll sprinkle some of our guys from here uh, in there, uh, but uh, or the girls from here to there. But, um, you know, in, at the, for the most part, it's going to be a European series made for European television to build new European fans and hopefully find a new, you know, a new star out of the, the series. Uh, and then we can find them back and forth in different continents. Uh, and, and you know what? We are, are going to do the same here, right? So... Uh, Asia is going to be a big market for us. Uh, I will say 2021, 22, 23. I look at Japan, Korea, China as a market that we want to be in and have a have a good reach. Again, starting a Asian series, maybe a six, eight fight series on its own, and build a business within the territory that's sustainable, that has a television deal, sponsors that airs primarily here in Asia, with some distribution in America or different parts. But you know, don't be surprised in the next you know two three years that, uh, you know, Bellator will have maybe 50, 50, 60 fights a year because of all the territories we're going to go to. So this Asia series, I mean, how soon could we see that? Are you talking about trying to launch something this year, or 2020, or is that too soon? Yeah, this is maybe towards the end of 2020, but maybe 2021 is probably more real realistic uh, because, you know, to trying to get into China, it's a little tricky. We're going to have to, you know, find a partner there. That's just how it works. Uh, we've been approached by two or three different companies, legitimate companies, to go there and uh, partner with them. Korea is, you know, I mean, I was born there, so it's something we have to do. Otherwise, my aunt won't talk to me anymore. Uh, and then, you know, Japan is such a strong market. I think that, you know, these are the these are the Asian territories that we're going to go into. And and then the last territory, you know, I think in the future will be Latin America, right? I think Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Mexico, that'll be a market. So if you if you put a thing about it, if you put add eight more fights on the European series, I'm sorry, eight more fights on the Asian series, eight more fights. That's uh, in Latin America. That's 16 more fights on top of the 30 fights they're doing. I mean, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of work, and uh, it's gonna, we're going to need a lot more staff, and we'll probably open up some offices. But you know, just don't tell my staff that yet, because uh, I don't think they're ready to hear that. <laughs> Last thing for me. Let's. Let, I mean, let's talk about 2020. The idea on the U.S. side. Grand Prix uh, ideas. I mean, anything fun that you can tease out there right now? That you know, going to happen. What I what I talked about in Hawaii was um, when I look at. You know the 125 pound female division with Lima. I, I really feel like there's there's some stars ready to get bust out of that division. And when I look at uh, Velasquez uh, and I look at Laura and Lima, I look at you know just just the landscape of that division. To me, I'm not committing to that, but it's very tempting. And I'm going to go back talk to my guys, talk to uh, you know uh, our partners of ICOM and, and see what they want to do. So I, uh, I I I think that it might be something that. You know that we are going to be ready to announce sometime. I don't know, say maybe in February, but I think the next tournament might be a female division tournament. You think we see any TV changes in 2020? Mm, that's going to be an interesting one. You know, we're working on a lot of things right now. I really don't want to talk about it, but I am very excited. Let's just put it that way. Nice. Last thing, uh, I guess, just this. Okay. How excited are you overall for this dual event type scenario? I mean. Do you feel like this is going to be like a historic moment for me? Is this where does this rank overall in terms of the shows that you've promoted? I mean, I, you know, I, I know you guys have been here before. There's nothing like walking into Saitama Super Arena, which to me is like the Yankee Stadium of, of martial arts fighting, and to walk in there and have you know twenty thousand people there watching you know the fights. It's, it's going to be unbelievable, and uh, this is definitely something that is historic for the company. It's a big piece of business for the company, and to come here and do it as a Bellator event was something that was really important to us. I think that you know we checked that off the box, and let's parlay this into something that's sustainable, that we come back here and, and really build a business here.
quick question. Um, well, how are the, the rule sets? Are the, now, do the post limbs after the Bellator main card, are they the same rule? Is it going to be done under the same rules? Yeah, I, my belief was that those will be under the Ryzen rules. So once we finish the broadcast and Fedor and, and Rampage finish the fight, those, that's the end of the Bellator event. And then uh, Ryzen will throw uh, their fight, post them cards, and they're going to tape it. It'll air on the YouTube channel. Uh, but it will be the Ryzen rules is what I, I, my understanding. Is, is that correct? Okay, there you go. And, um, so, and how, how can American fans view the post Um It's going to be on the Bellator YouTube channel. Oh, they will be. Okay. Yeah, so it's free. You can just, you know, check it out, and, and it'll be right on there. So uh, it'll be uh, available right after the fights, I think, at probably close to 3 o'clock. And lastly, real quick, um, Roy McDonald. Mm -hmm. That was, um, I guess, a lot of fans that kind of surprised him mm -hmm. going to PFL. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about the, the Roy McDonald experience in Bellator? Listen, he has some great fights for us. I, I really like the kid, and uh, he has some good fights. He has some tough fights. He had a lot of tough fights in Bellator. And, uh, you know, I just felt like it was the right timing for us to maybe take a step in a different direction, which we did. And, you know, um, I wish him well. I think uh, he'll have great success there. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's something that, you know, I have no regrets and neither will he and we'll move forward. And when you look back at Roy's time in Bellator, I'll, I'll, you know, you'll say he had two great fights with Douglas Lima. One was phenomenal. One was a good fight. Uh, he had a tough fight with uh, um, our guy in San Jose, Fitch, John Fitch. Um, and, you know, and Gegard didn't work out for Roy with Gegard. So I think he's had a lot of, a lot of fights that kept, got his hands full here. So, um, you know, these things happen, man. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, to whether it's us or it's the UFC or whoever else, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, people are going to come and people are going to go. And so that's just the nature of the industry right now. All right, so Scott Coker always giving you just enough. You know, he'll never drop them big bombs on you, but he'll... He'll give you just a little nugget here and there. I mean, uh, listen, the confirmation of the Asia Fight Series, it's something they've been talking about for quite a while, but it sounds like, you know, and this does make sense. It's kind of a launching off point of that, but, you know, it sounds like they want to add the, 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 you know, more committed than ever, I would say, to that Asia Fight Series that they've been talking about for a while. And, man, the way the Europe Fight Series has been successful for them. And, you know, I, I know they've gotten some criticism for how the, the TV cards are structured. I think that's going to change. Um, you know, there's some things working behind the scenes. I, I think most people realize um, in the, the Viacom and Bellator universe that Paramount is not the greatest fit for them. Um, you know, there's no shoulder programming. They're, they're, they're there by themselves as a sports property. Um, the brand Paramount, while it means something in the movie industry, I mean, it really doesn't have any kind of a tie to it. So um, no, nobody will really talk about it in front of the camera as much. I mean, as you can see from, from Scott Coker himself there, but I think there's going to be some changes in the, in the broadcast structure next year. Um, it's just a hunch more than anything. I haven't heard of anything of confirmation, but I think everybody realizes it's not a perfectly ideal scenario, but, but in the meantime, you know, you're kind of trying to position things the way you can. And I think they're continuing to grow. I mean, to sit back and go, well, we can't do anything in terms of growing until we've got this new TV deal in place. That doesn't help anybody. Um, and so they're continuing to, to press forward and continue to develop out there. So um, good stuff. I, you know, Bellator is, is, you know, still, I mean, the, U, the UFC has a very, very strong lead, uh, of course, in this field. Um, 
but Bellator continues to do their own thing and, and continues to try to be a, a nice, viable competitor, at, at least for athletes, if nothing else. And, and I think they're doing their best at doing that. So all you can do is focus on you. That's one thing that Scott Coker has always said, like, man, I cannot worry about what the UFC is doing or anybody else is doing. I can only worry about what I'm doing. So uh, interesting stuff there. Um, man, you know, the Rory McDonald stuff, I, I think, has kind of remained a big story as well. Um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, it sounds like, you know, they the, Bellator did want to make a play. You know, they did make an offer. I think there was um, – it was said at some point that no offer was made. Um, that's not my understanding. An offer was made. They were willing to keep him, but um, negotiations kind of broke down, and Rory is going to the PFL now. But I, I will say this, and um, – and, and I don't mean this as any kind of slight at Roy McDonald because he's he's very much a professional. He's put on some fantastic performances for us, and he's always nothing but kind in our interactions. But, you know, when he left the UFC, what did the UFC say? Hey, we keep who we want to keep, you know. And when he left Bellator, what did Bellator say? Hey, we keep who we want to keep. And uh, I don't mean that as any kind of slight at Roy McDonald at all, but if both those organizations in a row were saying, listen, man, we're good, you know. Wish him all the best, but we're happy. We're we're very comfortable with this decision. Um, I guess on the one hand, you, know, you could probably write that off. I mean, what organization is going to go? Oh, we just we really wanted him, but man, we couldn't pull the offer together. We weren't strong enough. We couldn't make a bid. You know, I mean, I guess they're never going to admit that. But the truth is, both both organizations could have made stronger plays, and they didn't. They made the play they felt was right, and then decided it wasn't worth any more than that. Um, I guess kudos to, to to Rory's team, if that means they're getting the biggest offer that's on the, the, the free agent marketplace, right? I mean, I guess ultimately that's what you want to do. You want to push somebody to the limit and find somebody else that's willing to pay more. But, man, there's only so many places you can go. You can't burn that many bridges. I mean, we, if the same situation happens in the PFL, where do you go from there? I mean, is LFA going to make a big offer for you? Or CFFC, so I don't know. I'm kind of, I feel like there's not too many options, and maybe that's fine with Rory. It doesn't sound like he knows, you know, he wants to keep competing too much longer. But I just worry that he's not going to have a lot of options on the table. The other thing I'm interested to see how this plays out with PFL is just how big of an impact it makes, because I think one of the biggest thing of becoming a free agent and signing with a new organization is, you know, all the the matchmaking. You know, fans can say, ooh, maybe they'll make this fight, maybe they'll make this fight. But, you know, you can't do that with the PFL. I guess you get a little bit of creativity with the regular season. Um, and I suppose you can make those matchups how you want. But I don't – you're not going to want to make your marquee matchups with those regular season matchups, right? I mean, are you going to want to necessarily put Rory against who you feel is your top competitor in, in the field? Because if so, that's kind of giving away a potential final matchup, right? A, a one versus two. Or at the very – you know, if it's not doing that, it's at least putting two of your, you know, most uh, competitive guys against each other, meaning that they're probably going to do the most damage to each other, right? So, I don't know. You know, I've said all along, I love the PFL model. I really do. Um, I've found more joy in, in the standings and stuff than I thought I would, and I think it's been cool that, you know, people have been able to write million-dollar checks, and I'm looking forward to watching the finals on the 31st. I don't know how how well it, it bodes towards big free agent signees. I don't know if it if it's really a good fit for them or not. Um, 
I don't know. There's no guarantees, right? I mean, certainly I, I think, you know, Roy is, is being given guaranteed fees bigger than anybody else in the organization. But, um, you know, there's no guarantee that you make it to that million-dollar final. And there's no guarantee that you get to see the fights you want to see. And, of course, you know, Rory fighting twice in a night. I don't know. A lot of interesting variables there that uh, I'm excited to watch play out and see if they play to the PFL's advantage or not, see if they play to Roy's advantage or not. So, anyway, all right, listen, um, by the way, we're doing a little bit of pre-fight coverage here um, for Ryzen 20 as well. And that's the show that's going to open up New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, I should say, rather, of course, in Japan. And they'll close that night with PFL 2019. I will not be here live for Ryzen 20, um, but we'll have some interviews with uh, with some of the competitors as well. That'll actually be done tomorrow uh, after the official weigh-ins. So couldn't include those today, but um, some interesting matchups there. We'll have a little bit of coverage there. Of course, we will have coverage of Ryzen as well. A fantastic card there, man. Some 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 title fights on the line. Um, if if you're if you're if you're a fan of the Ryzen product, then you already know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to tell you. Um, if you're not, this might be one that's uh, that's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, you know, it's tough to watch it in the middle of the night, of course, um, but those usually do stream live on Fight TV. And if nothing else, you can catch the results at MMA Junkie. We'll make sure and have you covered on those. So, um, and of course, it's got that Bellator crossover as well. You know, they've got the bouts on there as well where they're matched up with each other. So um, it's a fun card, man. I, I love what Ryzen and Bellator is doing. Um, I You know, I wish I, 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 I I'm happy that I'm going to be home uh, for New Year's with my family, but uh, I wouldn't have hated staying here to cover both cards. I think it's really cool uh, to see, you know, the organizations working together. Of course, Saki Kibara and Scott Coker have had uh, a relationship for a long time, and I think that will continue. Uh, as Coker said, you know, no discussion of whether this will be an every year kind of thing, but I, I would certainly be open to it and excited for it, that sort of thing. So um, we'll see how it plays out moving forward. But uh, anyway, uh, I will be back next week, I believe, if all goes well, myself and Cold Coffee will actually finally uh, be back together next week. I know that was uh, originally the intention this week. Uh, this was kind of late notice for me to come out here and cover Bellator. I actually wasn't uh, expecting to do it, but I'm happy to do it. Glad to be wrapping up in Tokyo, and uh, hopefully we will be uh, we'll seeing you on fight night. In the meantime, thanks for listening.